Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Back with you again and again and again. Dr. Joe Lucio here, co-founder of the Ed Up Experience podcast. On my right, the other co-founder of the Ed Up Experience podcast, Elvin Freitas. In fact, Elvin, I was just thinking this is the only fifth, the fifth time we've ever uh, seen each other in person after three years. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> I have a sound effect for that. Well, we're we're going to... You didn't know that it was Elvin this whole time with the amazing button. Anyway, I'm going to get right to my guest. He's got a lot to say. I heard him talking. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot going on at this university, and he's in charge of a lot. Let's bring him in. Here he is. He's Judd Nicholson. He's VP for Information Technology and Chief Information Officer at Georgetown University. Judd, what's going on? Hey, not a whole lot. Thank you for having me. It's not a whole my lot. Pleasure. That's yeah. not true. That's not true. <laughs> Immediately, boring, you're not telling average, me the truth. everyday kind of stuff, you know? Um, a lot no, going, a lot on, going on, Georgetown. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, I would, I, I'm going to just assume that the majority of our audience has heard of Georgetown University. However, oh, if no. that is not the case, <laughs> just tell us about Georgetown briefly. Um, okay, we're about 17,000 uh, students undergraduates and graduates. Um, it's the oldest, largest Jesuit university in the United States, founded in 1789, right after the you know the country was founded. So it's 230 some years old. It's so amazing. There's some lots some of history, IT, uh, some history, lots some of IT history. stuff. Very light history. Like, yeah. um, IT, they didn't know about IT back in those days. We were trying to figure out the light bulb back then, I think, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you, you're, you're busy. Um, so talk about, set the stage for what you were talking about earlier. You guys are moving a massive, massive technology infrastructure. Can you talk about it a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to. So it's been a, I think, a modernization roadmap for almost a decade. Mm. Um, and that is a light speed amount of time for higher education. So Amazing. We, <laughs> We have touched every single part of the technical ecosystem. So from all of our in-core buildings, we did a modernization upgrade of 66 buildings over the last couple of years. And we've been on this cloud journey. So moving a lot of our on-premise applications that provide, whether it's HR, finance, or now with student, um, moving them from on-premise into the cloud. So um, we're big, I'm a big cloud proponent for lots of reasons. Um, Mainly, it is, um, I have a very limited amount of staff. And mm. so giving them the opportunity, when you move to SaaS, a lot of that back-end work moves to the SaaS company. Right. And then you're able to take that staff, use their intellectual power to support the institution, like really functional stuff that is exciting and engaging and gets people excited to come to work. That's what primarily what we wanted to do when we moved to SaaS is get my people in my department excited about supporting the institution. And it, sometimes that's in HR, sometimes that's in finance, and now a lot in the student realm, like supporting students directly. So, How does, how does your staff look? Give, give me an idea about, of your infrastructure. I have 165 people, hmm. and we support um, almost four campuses and a number of um, smaller um, operations like worldwide. So there's a main campus, a big medical center, um, and our law center. And Where we have are a the other in, campuses? We have a campus in Doha. Mm -hmm. um, and we have campus, not really campuses, but we have um, global health operations all across Africa. So in Eswatini, um, in Nigeria, in Cambodia, um, 
So lots yeah, of um, by the way, this gentleman and I, we were in Qatar and we learned all about the uh, Georgetown effort there in Education City. Oh, you did? Oh, wow. It's yeah, amazing. We, yeah, uh, yeah. A little unknown fact uh, that I'll make known. Uh, Francisco Marmalejo, who's the president of the Qatar Foundation, is actually one of the five co-hosts of Edup in Espanol. If you oh, can wow. believe it. Oh, wow. So we're, we're all connected one way or another. We are. That's amazing. The work of the Qatari Foundation has been pretty amazing. Essentially, um, with almost unlimited funds, they went across yeah. the world to look at how do we bring the best in class education to the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And that's what they've done. So for Georgetown, it's our school of foreign service, like the best in class, the best in the world. Yeah. For foreign service, you know, building, you know, like government employees are really understanding the context around like global issues. Um, and then like Northwestern is the best in media and journalism. Yes. And um, they just brought the at Cornell's medical school. They brought to Qatar and education. State. It's really, really incredible. incredible. Um, what um, passion for education and passion and unlimited, almost unlimited, unlimited dollars. Not almost. Can I do mean, let's for be honest. Yeah. It's unlimited resources <laughs> it's a, it's forever. A, it is. So it's a really amazing. And Georgetown has been fortunate to be at the on the ground floor. Like we we're one of the first schools. We've been there for more than 10 years. Yeah. Um, we signed, I think, another 10 years to stay there and expand. But it's it's been great operation and being there in the center really of um, a lot of conflict, a lot of challenges, whether it's political, whether it's religious, whether it's economical. Um, it's been great to be there. Were you, uh, just a sidebar question, were you in the executive track uh, room uh, earlier? I wasn't. And <laughs> I, Too whenever bad, I there come was a to the snowball these... fight, I don't know if oh. you heard about it. No, uh -uh. okay. Well, I'll, we'll talk about it after this. The unfortunate part of when I come to some of these, I never get to go to a session. Mm, so okay, I'm always yeah. scheduled from. Yeah. You know, yeah. So wait, who who's keep scheduling, John? Get, yeah. Somebody stop right now. No, it's honestly. actually a, a great privilege because I get to do stuff like this, or I get to be yeah. on stage, and so I did get to see at least my team's session that's good because <laughs> uh, if you didn't do that then they, you know then well, you, then they you do it. all the hard work i don't do anything well you know let's talk about hard work for a minute you're transitioning to SaaS, the cloud your big cloud and i'm sure i'm sure it's been really easy change management yeah it was like a snap our fingers nobody nobody goes nobody cares what's going on <laughs> right, right? So, nobody's doing that yeah. no, you know well, holy crap yeah 100 yeah can you talk about the journey of what, course what, what it's been like yeah um well, we have been Banner customers since uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And so it was, at that time, not a very mature company, very mature pro like product, um, software product. Um, and so as we implemented from then until a handful of years ago, every time we needed new functionality, we needed a new business process, and it wasn't in Banner, we created custom code. Mm. And so part of the journey particularly with our partnership with Elucian, is all of us getting on like going the same direction. Well, so the great thing about custom code is that it's custom for the moment. And then when the moment evolves, <laughs> you know, yeah, and you and, take it away. And the people leave yes. who originally put it in place. It becomes very difficult to support. And again, back to the people problem. Mm. You want your people who are... Um, you want to be energized. You want to be excited about coming to work. You want them working on meaningful things and not keeping custom code up and maintaining it. Nailed it. And so we had 1,700 customizations. 1,700? Yes. And I, Georgetown is probably not unique. Like that is probably the same story you're going to hear from a lot of schools. Um, and so a lot of the change management, 
at change management was around how do you unravel that and how do you do it alongside your stakeholders? I was going to ask you that, actually. Yeah. How do you do that? How, you, how do you... you take every single customization and do an analysis of is this baseline in the current software? Is it going to be baseline in the current software? If it is, how do we talk to our business stakeholders about moving to the baseline software? There might be some changes in like look and feel. Yeah. The workflow might be a little different, but it is a 1700 individual conversations about we're going to give you the same functionality or better and giving them that confidence and trust and after you've had a couple of those then they're like okay yeah we're in we're in we're, we got the buy-in we're, we're ready to go don't lie to me judge after you do that 1700 times are you saying this to yourself i am the smartest man alive <laughs> i mean no you never rest <laughs> you, you do some victory laps um i would say one of the victory laps in this particular migration is around financial aid. Yeah, um, that's George, huge. Georgetown is a Jesuit institution. Um, at our core, it is about giving every single person the opportunity to come to Georgetown if they have the academic credentials. Um, and so we take financial aid and we're one of only 40 schools in the country, 41, 40 schools in the country who are need blind, full met need, which means if you get accepted to Georgetown University, we're going to find a way for you to pay for it, whether that's scholarships, whether that's grants, whether that's work study, whether that could be loans. We have a very low, very low loan threshold at Georgetown. But one of the big wins in this migration is getting our financial aid people on board and bought in to the banner financial aid capability so that they don't lose anything for those students who really need that money to come to Georgetown. How much money does this cost? And you know, you give, give me, I mean, because it's not like you, you're transitioning over a period of time, even if you're alleviating back end, because you're going to depend on the, set, the the company to get there, to do the 1700 analyza, analyzations, analyses. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, this is not a technical podcast by any means, so I, yeah. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> uh, but, but what kind of investment, time, resources, goes into something like this well it's a lot not only monet like actual dollars um so i don't know ultimately i can't yeah. tell you what the whole you could cost tell me but you <laughs> won't tell me. i am not going to tell you um i will tell you that the work we're doing with the lucian is a true partnership meaning they're not only putting in actual dollars and professional services but also putting in some sweat equity and right. so that they're just as invested in our success and in our implementation as we are. And so it is a lot of soft costs. So it's like people costs, retraining costs, it's upskilling costs, it's time. Um, because these people who are the team, my team and stakeholders, this isn't their day job. They right. still have to do their day job. So it is a lot of change management and sweat equity that's being put into this migration along with actual dollars. I mean, there are dollars. The good thing at the end, which Again, back to cost. If there's not a good thing at the end, Joe, there, but there's got to be a <laughs> good thing. There's an implementation the after that is a predictable subscription model that allows us to have, again, that predictability and cost downstream. Oh, and we're going to get yeah. <laughs> get the advantage of um, all of the new capabilities and functionalities as the release. So what's your ultimate role in this? Are you Are you doing more leadership management for your people because they're just crushing themselves to get this done 
you, you must have sprint timelines and I mean, like what kind of diagram you probably have. It's, There's this whole Gantt chart the, the Gantt and chart, like yeah. roles and dependencies and um, a Lucian is assigned a program manager. I have a program manager on my side. Her name is Parameter Ray. She's amazing. Um, but my job is cheerleader on the sidelines. Yeah. Um, once we, I'm going to call the executive <laughs> mastermind overlord. Um, it is, once you decide kind of to go, that's my job is to, and then the escalation point, you know, a couple of times we've had to escalate to, you know, the Lucian CEO and the Lucian CTO and be like, there's this functionality we need to really talk, but that's my job is to break down the barriers and the obstacles and the challenges so that they can keep on trucking and taking risks and be confident that at the end there, we have their back. 10 years, 10 years was this infrastructure plan, right? Have you been there the entire time? The I entire came, year? yes, I came in June of 2012. This will be my 11th year. 11th year. So okay. it, it was a lot of other things. That, like we had five email systems when I came to Georgetown. Yeah. I mean, you don't you really need five. Yeah. I and mean, in you fact, know, you probably need one, <laughs> one or two. Um, so again, we there's not a part there's not a rock we haven't turned over and done something so that Georgetown's prepared to the future, for the future. What is the future? What, what, so, uh, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to save that one for the end. We're going to give oh, you, you that one at the end. We're going to give that one to the end. Um, the, the, the 10 year journey, how many years did it take for you to scope this out? When did the 10 year journey really start? It couldn't start on day Probably one. About year eight, I would okay. say. Um, we were very lucky. Uh, Georgetown knew when they brought in me and the pre that was a previous CIO and then I was promoted in September of 2016. They knew they had a lot of technical debt and they knew they needed to do something. So they were committed to figuring it out and investing. When you got there, did you look at everything and go, whoa, yeah, what I, is going I, on? I, <laughs> what am I supposed five, to do with this? When you have five email systems, just making a calendar invite or a calendar event, inviting people becomes really difficult. Oh gosh, um, cybersecurity. Like, I mean, let's talk about that just for a second. They had not changed passwords ever. Access denied. Yikes. And so we, that was one of the first things we instituted was changing passwords every 90 days. And then we further migrated to like a standardized password. Like, is that the first part of change management to make everybody change their password every 90 days? Because you <laughs> so know, find nobody out who your real it. customers are. Right? Who's going to be your barrier that calls you and goes, 90 days is ridiculous. Yeah. Why didn't you do 60 or why didn't you do 120? Yeah. That's how it always There's goes. always somebody. But I mean, cybersecurity and data, uh, it, it, it's an issue, right? Students expect privacy. Governments are telling us to protect student data and any migration of any system. You've got to lock that sucker down. Yeah. I mean, yeah. talk about that. What you, what, do you have cybersecurity teams? I you mean, can yep. tell how many of these I've done today. Yeah. <laughs> I We have a security office which is both security and cyber operations and policy and governance and that office is essentially charged with what does the cybersecurity landscape look like how do we build a strategy around that how do we get investment and buy-in from the university um, and we've been extremely successful um, and so we have multi-factor authentication it's pretty typical in the industry yep. um, we have you know very advanced firewalls and our border is really secure um, but that is the, that comes that strategy comes from that office. And every two years, I bring in somebody from outside to do an assessment. Poke holes. Yeah. yeah, I mean it. You have to. The enemy is doing it. Enemy in this case is anybody really trying to get yeah. at your data, whether they're looking at your data to get for money to basically sell it on the dark web, or they're like a nation state because Georgetown's a big brand. Yeah. 
we have a lot of nation state actors looking at um, exploiting our infrastructure. And higher ed's been notoriously weak, yeah. right? You know, it was well, one of the industries where you could steal data the easiest. Yeah, yeah. Right? And weak's a very interesting concept because the entire purpose of higher education is teaching, learning, and research. Mm. And the way that you teach and learn and research is to collaborate with each other and with your and with industry and with other academia. And so ah. this notion of secure yet open is sometimes a very difficult thing to balance. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot going on. You've got a lot going on. Georgetown's a premier brand in this country in terms of, of colleges and universities. Um, you're on an in, uh, infrastructure reimagining uh, plan for the future. You've been there for a long time. You've led, you're leading a team of 100 and, when did you say 160? Yeah. What do other CIOs need to know? Like what's, what's the thing you know now that you wish you knew in 2012 or that the future CEO here that might be starting out at a university, like what is the key to being a higher ed CIO? The one thing, because there's only one, right? There's only but, one, yeah. But I mean, what I, comes to mind when it comes to leadership? I would, the one thing I tell a lot, like if I mentor somebody or if I'm in these CIO, like a new CIO comes on board and we start to have a conversation about what my experience has been because I was in federal government before I came to higher education. Um, it is never, I guess, the face-to-face -face conversations and that building of trust one-on-one -on -one, um, is probably the best way to gain a lot of traction really fast. Mm. Um, never, like, I used to, I used to call it like my shoe leather philosophy, which is when you come into a new institution, I mean, we have 4,000 or so faculty and that includes our adjuncts. Every four, all 4,000, you're not gonna have a conversation with all 4,000, right. but they do their work and their expertise in 4,000 different ways. Yeah. They just need to have some credibility that they're gonna be able to do their job no matter what you're gonna implement. And sometimes looking in their eyes and having a conversation with them, whether it's in groups or one-on-one, -on -one, um, gets you a lot of credibility. Yes. And then after that, you do have to do exactly what you said you're going to do. Mm. There's no deviation. You have to do exact. If you deviate once, you've you might as well just quit. One hundred percent. It's truth, though, right? Because they're gonna. The, no one ever forgets that one time, one time that you didn't do exactly what you said you're gonna do. Yep. So that transparency, that shared governance, that these are the steps. We're gonna follow the steps, and we're not gonna deviate. Yeah. Oh, you're so right on. That is such a great tip for, yeah. for leaders. I think it is. And then once you gain that credibility, there's almost nothing that you can't do. I mean, right. I, we were, I mean, I've been there 11 years. We completely changed our password methodology in the middle of COVID and with no reaction. Mm. Like, Cause it you know, it needed to be done. IT, the best critique is silence <laughs> <laughs> I, I joked to somebody Sometimes. earlier nobody calls you and goes you know john i just want to call you and tell you how beautiful my infrastructure has been right. working today i it's logged just, in today and it was flawless yeah. right nobody does never <laughs> it is one of the jobs in higher ed i said there there are thankless jobs i i, I appreciate you out here advocating for your team uh, it is a tough gig in really any industry but when it's student first and faculty and staff and there's an infrastructure to make all that work that is that is IT. And to your point, nobody calls up to tell you just how great things have been going. No, um, no. Only when it breaks and it, and then it's serious, yeah. whatever it is, yeah. right? Absolutely. Even when you don't plug in your monitor, that's a serious <laughs> moment. Yeah, absolutely. 
Tell us um, anything else about to an episode here, the final two questions. Anything about Georgetown University you want to say, about your team you want to say? You can love on them if you want for two minutes. You can talk about where you're speaking next, what conference you Anything you want to say about Georgetown, open mic. Um, okay. I will. I have an incredible team. I'll love on my team a little bit. Um, they have really kind of stuck in there and dug in on all the change, all the modernization, all the culture and change that went into that. I mean, we have a very, very low attrition rate. And as you can imagine, in the heart of D.C. with Amazon, Google, Salesforce, everybody, for every tech company in my backyard, they could easily go work for somebody else. They, they don't. They stick in there and stay. And I think that is because we as a department have been very thoughtful and de deliberate about getting them as close to the mission of the institution as possible. And there are, it's a Jesuit institution. So it was founded on Jesuit principles. It's Catholic, but Jesuit. Mm -hmm. And the entire mission of the Jesuits is to educate and to send, to create critical thinking leaders who engage in society in meaningful ways. Um, and I would say that's been the best part of being, and the university has been so open to all of the change and modernization, of course, like skeptical yeah. and asking questions, but I mean, we've spent 80 plus million dollars. We've changed every single thing from how people log in to how they sign up for courses. I mean, every part it's of amazing. it, how we raise money, just open, really open to all the change and modernization and patient. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, finally, and the easiest question of the day, what do you see for the future of higher education, Judd? <laughs> you teed it up and I thought, <laughs> well, I have, will my brain be able to compartmentalize an answer? Um, I don't really know, and I certainly am not a futurist. But what I will tell you is, I think my job is twofold. And this is maybe an answer to your future question. The first part of my job, and probably sometimes the most important is making sure that all those trains run Yep. that the university, whatever it's doing today can keep doing exactly what it's doing today. The second thing is strategic. And I think that's where we have been very thoughtful over the last 10 years is it doesn't matter ultimately what higher education looks like or what Georgetown looks like. Our university can now flex on an infrastructure that can then be responsive and agile to whatever that looks like. I like that. Well said. Have you done that? See, I knew you're a good speaker before you even got on here. Cause I heard you talk. Um, and there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, did you have a good time on the podcast today? John? I did. It was great. It was fun. Oh, cool. Well, we my first one ever. No way. Really? Yeah. Well, it won't be your last. Your first Georgetown, your, my first podcast. That's right. Well, we, we loved having you here. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. He's Judd Nicholson. He's VP for Information Technology and Chief Information Officer at Georgetown University. Any final words for the for the audience? Nope. Thank you. This is great. Had a great time. With that, ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped.